We're going to be looking over these next few weeks at a preaching series that we're calling Meals with Jesus. And just to be clear, it's really not about the food. (laughs) We started this term by looking at the Great Commission. Jesus commands to his people to go out to the whole world and tell the world about him and make those who believe in him into disciples, followers of him, that they would get baptized and that they would obey him in everything. We spent the last few weeks looking at this. And one of the ways in which we, who are Christians here, can respond to this Great Commission is by practicing hospitality. Hospitality has been described as using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbours and neighbours family of God. And here's why we're looking at hospitality in particular. A few months ago, um, I think it was in a prayer meeting, um, we had people bring different contributions, and Johnny Lipson brought a word about God expanding our tents and preparing us for growth, and that we would see him work in people who currently have absolutely no interest in God. And Hannah Thresher followed this up with a reminder to us that hospitality is a gift that God gives us. She says, I just felt like as a church if we're meant to get ready to enlarge our tents, that pretty much means being ready to disrupt a little bit of the daily routine and let people in. Just have an open door. Don't worry if the dishes are in the sink policy. God wants to extend his family, and that means having people over. And she went, oh, we should ask God to give us a prophetic gift that we know who to invite when and when to open the door. Lord, would you make us to be an open-hearted, open-door people? Would you enlarge your family through those normal relationships of who lives next door, who's down the road, who's in my gym class, etc. So as we as elders, me and Chris and Dan, were looking at this term and we knew God wanted us to focus on the Great Commission, we also felt that he wanted from that for us to look at being a people who are hospitable, that we might bring people into our homes and into relationships and that part of what will happen from that is that they will hear the gospel, they hear about Jesus And they might even give their lives to him. And so what we're going to do uh, for the rest of this term, the next few weeks, is we're going to look at meals that Jesus had with people. Hospitality isn't just cooking meals, but that can be a big part of it. And so we're going to start this week with the first meal that Luke writes about in uh, his gospel in chapter 5, starting in verse 27. And Luke writes, After this, he, that's Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? And sinners. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is God's word, and why don't we pray that we would hear from Him today? Lord, we we love how you've spoken to us about your presence and your power being here among us. We're so grateful that that's true. And we're so grateful it's true that when we leave here, your presence goes with us and your power goes with us. And so we pray, Lord God, that we would be a people who are open-hearted to those around us and that we would be a people who have open doors, that we can invite people in, 
that they might experience the presence and the power of God, just as we've seen in this story. Lord God, speak to us, stir our faith. We might believe you for this and obey you in it. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to look at what happens in this meal and what could happen uh, when we have meals and when we invite people out. I'm just going to say this right now. There's some of you are like, oh, but my home's a mess or I don't even have a home in which to, you know, a whole house in which to live. And so you're just going to be like, well, it's a shame. This sermon was of no relevance to me whatsoever. If you are able to open a door, you are able to be hospitable. If you're able to say to someone, just come and share my space. Or even if the two of you say, hey, let's go somewhere together. But you're initiating that. In that way, you are being hospitable. And so I want to encourage you, whether you're a student who currently doesn't even know where you're going to live, whether you're like me and your house is a complete mess and it's full of boxes and all this kind of stuff at the moment, or whether you've got a really pristine home and the idea of someone coming into it, you're feeling a little bit antsy about that. Whatever your circumstances, I want you to believe that God is calling you to hear him speak today. And this is for you. So to understand this meal, it will help us to have a sense of what meals meant in that culture. And like most cultures, meals were moments of friendship, they were moments of intimacy, they were moments of unity. The bonds that already existed between people were were strengthened by the fact that they were eating together and they were sharing together as they ate. And that's obviously pretty normal. That's, that's not unusual, really, is it? Obviously, we can sometimes, you know, particularly for fast food or we go to a cafe or something like that, we can be technically eating with all sorts of people who we don't know. But if we're actually having a meal and other people are there, the chances are they are people we want to eat with. It's a very normal thing to do. But there was an extra layer of meaning for the Jews. See, they had been called by their God to be a people who are distinct from the rest of the world. And the reason they were to do that was to show the rest of the world that there was only one true God and it was theirs. And so they were meant to be holy. They were meant to be set apart as he was. And their history had taught them that they were very easily led astray by others who didn't follow their God. And so there were practices that they put into place that helped them to be reminded and to maintain the distinction that God had called them to. One of those areas was laws about what they were to eat and not eat and how they were to eat. And so meals were a moment of distinction. They were a moment when the faithful were eating together as the faithful. And not only the fact that they were those who were in the room gathered together, but what they were eating and even how they prepared that food. They were all reinforcing this message of here we are, God's faithful people. And since the giving of those laws in the Old Testament, over the centuries that had followed and all the ups and downs that God's people had experienced, these practices had intensified, particularly amongst those who wanted to show the rest of God's people what it really looked like to be faithful to their God. And so here's how one scholar describes the situation in Jesus' time. They write, Even more so than in the Old Testament, Judaism viewed mealtimes as important occasions for drawing boundaries. Fundamental among those principles was the notion that unclean people and objects constantly threatened to corrupt God's holy elect nations and individuals within it. Like literal physical disease, we may think of ritual impurity as contagious. Now again, all of us tend to think in this way, in some ways. 
So, for example, if you've just cleaned your hands, you've cleaned them really well. You've done more than 20 seconds. You've cleaned them every way in which you're supposed to have learned how to clean them. You've got beautifully clean hands, and you touch something dirty, what changes? Does the beautiful, wonderful, radiant, fresh-smelling cleanliness of your hand impart itself to that thing that is messy and filthy and dirty? No. What happens? The thing that is messy and filthy and dirty imparts itself to your recently cleansed hands. So we all have this sense that actually when something that is clean and good comes into contact with something that is dirty and bad, it's always the dirty and bad that ends up rubbing off on the other one. So for the people who were leading the concerns for Israel's purity in the days of Jesus, uh, they were known as the Pharisees, anyone was impure who wasn't striving to live faithfully to obey Israel's God in all things as they claimed that they were doing. So that put you outside. That put you off their guest list for any meals they were having. This certainly meant that someone like Levi was outside. For them. So Levi was collaborating with the occupying Roman Empire by collecting taxes for them. And he was making money off his fellow Jews by doing this. It also means all sorts of other people who just aren't, they're just not cutting it, or they just don't care, or they just don't care enough. So then Jesus bursts onto the scene and he starts doing things that only God can do and he starts claiming to speak for God. So what are his eating habits likely to be? Surely he will keep himself separate from all the impure and immoral people who are around him. But he doesn't. That's not what he does. And that is shocking. And that is what's going on when the scribes and their Phar- uh, the, the, the Pharisees and their scribes say in verse 30, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? It's like they're saying, don't you know what will happen to you? In all sorts of ways, both ritually and possibly morally as well, you are going to be contaminated by them. What is Jesus' answer? Is it that he doesn't think this huge crowd at Matthew's party are sinners. Does he just, no, 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 they're beautiful just the way they are. No, there's nothing wrong with these people at all. They're lovely. Is that what he says? No. He uses the term sinner itself. He doesn't say, guys, you've got it all wrong about these people. He doesn't. He says, I know exactly who they are. And he gives a parable in which he says that they are sick. But for Jesus, that means he wants to get closer to them rather than keep his distance. So Levi. Levi's probably a wealthy guy, almost certainly. But even if he wasn't, we learn that he left everything to follow Jesus. He's been told by Jesus, either directly or indirectly, that he has to turn away from his, own way, for his, from his old way of life. He needs to repent of his greed. He needs to repent of his injustice. There's probably a whole bunch of other things we don't know about Levi that he needs to repent of as well. He needs to go away from all of that. It was wrong. You need to turn away, Levi. And Levi is delighted. He's so thrilled to be told this. He celebrates that Jesus did this with this mighty feast. What we might do for a birthday or a wedding or a new job or something, something that we're really happy about, Levi does for leaving everything 
and following Jesus. He wants to honor Jesus and he wants to celebrate what Jesus has done for him because he's seen in Jesus something so precious that it makes everything else he had worthless in comparison. We don't know whether he hated his previous way of life or he loved it. It doesn't matter. What matters is that whatever it was and whatever he felt about it, it could not compare to Jesus. The stories that Levi has heard about him, the miracles that he's seen him do, the love that he's experienced personally, Thanks to Jesus, Levi is no longer excluded from God's people because of his sin, but he has been forgiven. And he's been brought into a new community of people who are learning from Jesus and following him. And he just thinks this is the best thing ever. And so he celebrates. And as he does so, he is bringing heaven to earth. Later in Luke's gospel, Jesus will tell us, that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need of repentance. And then Jesus says it again. He says, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And there's an Old Testament prophecy that's being anticipated in this celebratory feast that's one day going to be fulfilled. It's in Isaiah 25. And in it, The prophet says this, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And so by gathering unexpected people for a feast that celebrates, eternity, that celebrates salvation, Levi's meal is so much more than a party. It is a taste of eternity. I don't know if you've ever thought of meals like that. I don't know if when you were sharing with one another whether or not you could put it in that category. But that is what is happening in Levi's house. Now, whether he was conscious of that or not, he almost certainly had another agenda as well. And it was this. He wanted everyone he knew to experience what he had experienced. He wanted to introduce Jesus to as many people as he could. And there were many ways in which he went about doing this over the course of the rest of his life. But one of the ways he did was he invited people round. So let's think about what those people who he invited round felt like. What must have they... Did did they know who was on the guest list? Did he say, Jesus is going to be at my house, I want you to come too? Or did he just say, I'm going to have a great big party? And then they all turned up and they were like, is that that him? 
See, Jesus already had a reputation for doing amazing things. He had healed people. He'd set people free who they knew. And as we've seen, the common expectation of someone like that is that they will not be hanging out with the kind of people Levi knew and was able to invite around to his house. But they're eating with him. They're like, You know, are they staring at him in case? Because they're like, what's he doing there? How is he here? They nudge each other. Jesus. He's right there. They've heard some pretty crazy stories about what this guy does. And then they can see him. Even as they're eating, they can see this person who they know makes sick people well. Even as they're having a drink, they can see this person who they know has set people free. Do they get awkward when one of the loudmouth friends starts, like, you know, just getting a bit loud? Like, Shut up, he's my leave. Are they, you know, are they nervous when he says something funny because you know, he's a religious person? I thought they were serious. Like, am I supposed to laugh or is this a trap that you're going to get me into and then I'm going to be told off if I laugh at a joke? Like, what's going on? Do they want to get close to him or are they afraid to do it? All these things are going on in their heads. Are they tongue tied? You know, he suddenly turns up and says, hey, So, hi, how are you? I don't know. Because you're Jesus, I don't know what I'm supposed to. Is that what goes on? Or do they suddenly just find themselves just talking and talking? And all their deepest hopes and fears just come spilling out. And they're not even sure why that's happening. But actually, the probably reason is because he keeps looking at them. And he seems to, he really cares. Does his being there make them feel a bit uncomfortable? About how they've been treating other people around them? There's just something about him that makes how you've been living just feel wrong. How many of them started to feel that more than magnetic pull that Levi did so that they started to think, if he says to me, you need to leave your whole life and follow me, I'm going to say yes. And I'm not quite sure how I feel about that yes yet, but if he does that, I'm going to. I don't know what they were feeling. Some of those things might have been in play. So the Pharisees saw meals as moments of separation because that's how they understood all of life. They thought that the best response to the virus of sin was self-isolation. But Jesus tells them something different. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He has come to bring the cure for the sin that is in us and all around us. And the cure is him. It's him. And only he knows how painful this medicine is going to be for him, that it might have its effect in them. Only he at this point knows that it isn't going to involve him suffering on a cross, him receiving God's punishment so that sinners don't. And there he is, with a reputation for loving doing what he does. It's not like, oh, these guys, really? He's like, this is great. This is where I want to be. See, the Pharisees, the reason they had this sense of you've got to keep them separate is because they, they saw other people, this kind of crowd, as hopeless. 
unable or unwilling to live as God, they felt, had called them to live. These people, they're just incurably sick. Jesus knows different. See, by the powerlessness of rule-keeping, the way the Pharisees saw the world, they were right. They're like, we have told these people. We have told them again and again and again and again. And do you know what? They keep on doing it. They're hopeless. Jesus says, yeah, if, it's that, if that's your way of doing it, you're probably right. But he says, I'm bringing something different. I'm bringing the power of an incorruptible life. I'm bringing a goodness so great it glows. I am bringing a holiness that is more contagious than their sin. Jesus once, there was a leper. That's a person with very infectious disease. And actually Luke arranges that story just before this story. And people wouldn't go anywhere near them because they were really infectious. And this leper calls and says, Jesus, can you help me? What does Jesus do? He touches him. And what happens? What happens when the beautifully, wonderfully scrubbed clean thing touches the dirty, filthy, messy thing? What always happens when that happens? What always happens when someone who doesn't have leprosy goes near someone who has leprosy? The leprosy spreads. And what happens this time? The leprosy goes. It goes because it's Jesus. It is the goodness and power of God. And so when Jesus comes to someone who has the leprosy of sin and all the rule keeping in the world isn't going to save them, but they turn to him. They say, I've got to leave my old way of life. They turn to him. What do they get? They get healed. They get forgiven. They get transformed. And that is what happens to Levi. He is a tax collector. He is, and, and it's not criticism of tax collector, but this means in this culture, he was a treacherous cheat. In fact, because it meant that he was robbing God's people, he's robbing God. He's an enemy of God. That's who he is. Who is he living for in doing this? I mean, it must be himself. And he might have some family that he wants to help, but that's his world. And that's what he's like. And then he meets Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to touch your life and I'm going to completely transform it. And he goes from being an enemy of God to a friend of God. And now he's more famously known by another name. He's Matthew, the gospel writer. What a total transformation. The question for us is, do we believe this? Do we believe that an encounter with Jesus can change a person's life? If we do, and we should, then surely we must be giving ourselves to making this happen. Rosaria Butterfield observes, in post-Christian communities, your words can only be as strong as your relationships. Your best weapon is an open door, a set table, a fresh pot of coffee, and a box of Kleenex for the tears that will spill. Jesus used meals as moments of connection. And he's inviting us to do that too. Tim Chester states that if you routinely share meals and you have a passion for Jesus, then you'll be doing mission. It's not that meals save people. People are saved through the gospel message. But meals will create natural opportunities to share that message in a context that resonates powerfully with what you're saying. 
That's really interesting. And that's what we believe that God spoke to us about through Hannah's prophetic word that I mentioned at the start. She said, being ready to just disrupt a little bit of the daily routine and let people in. Have an open door, don't worry if the dishes are in the sink or still in a box policy. God wants to extend his family, and that means having people over. I think this is always true, but I think it's really true at the moment. I think it's a really timely word to us. With everything that's going on with, this cost, with the cost of living crisis, this is a word that's full of hope. So whereas with COVID, the initial correct response was separation from everyone else. That's what we had to do. With this, it's surely better that we get closer to others in order to share what we've got. Butterfield again says, Christians are not fearful hoarders, we are fearless givers. Not because we're rich but because we're generous. Now I'm going to be sharing next week some of the things that we're looking to do as a church uh, to help people who are going through hardship at the moment. But hospitality is not a church program. We will have church lunches occasionally because they're lovely, but that's not hospitality. Hospitality is each of us offering what we've got so that people who we know and we meet can get to know and meet Jesus. And we might find in this season that people are more willing than usual to accept an invitation to come into our homes, to be spared from using the heating for an evening or from having to pay for food. Let's be generous with our time and with our resources and with our attention and care for other people. We do so because our God is a God who loves And he wants to share that love with others, but we do so also that we might be able to share about Jesus through that. This is what we're always looking to do. And just to say, hospitality is really not about performing. It's really not about making an incredible meal that someone can remember many years later. It's really not about that. It's not about having a clean house. It's not about making sure that everyone is well behaved. We want to give Jesus the opportunity to connect and bless people through us. And allowing other people to see some of the mess in our lives will help them realise the kind of people that Jesus comes to save. Messy people. Ordinary people. Sinners. Like you and like me. So God has spoken to us about hospitality. It's just in his word. We're always to do it. But he's given us a prophetic encouragement to be doing this right now and I want us to I just want to encourage you to believe that and to act upon it and to share what you have and so I'd love for us now just to invite the Holy Spirit to lead us in this so if you're up for that if you want to be led in this way just want to maybe close your eyes it might help you focus put your hand up but whatever you do just to just to help you tune in And just be focusing your mind on God right now. This isn't about being nice. That we want to just love people in all sorts of general ways. It's about it's about hosting a meal. It's it's about bringing people into a place where Jesus is where Jesus is, who changes people, 
I really felt when Shelley um, uh, sung earlier, there was, a, there was, a, there was a, a resonance when she said the word trust. That I felt, just, there was just something in it that I felt like God was bringing my attention to it. And, and because I knew what I was going to say about trusting him for this, I felt that was those two things connecting. So I just encourage you, if you're like, no, I've done this before, or no, I don't think I like the idea of it, or I'm not sure. I just feel God's ask, inviting you to have him, to just say that to him and then ask him, Lord, give me faith. Help me to trust you in this. Actually, for some of you, the, the trust factor is, I don't know that I've got enough to share. I don't know that I, I don't know, you know, if I'm not going to turn my heating on, how can I invite someone else around to a cold house? And I just feel God saying, I want you to trust me that I'm going to be at work in this. Just, you can be honest with him. And then say, no, but I'm going to trust you. And, and Thomas just said several times, he said to us, you're the light. And we're invited, again, people might even want to turn their lights on. Like, Come in, there's light here. There's light here. And God is calling his people to be that light. That Jesus would shine his light through us. So what might that look like for you this week? What does it look like to share some of what you have, to bring people in that they might connect with Jesus? It might just be a very low level, as it were. I don't like that language, but you know what I mean. Just a starting point. Or it might be a deeper moment with someone you've known for many years. There's going to be something about being around a table that's going to enable God to do something wonderful. Lord, we pray for meals of connection, and that that would lead to many more meals of celebration. We thank you that you're at work in us. We want to obey you in this as in all things. Help us, O oh Lord. Amen. Amen. And just finally to say, I know if you're not a Christian, I've, I've spoken a lot about you without speaking to you today, and I'm, I kind of apologize for that. But if you're just, what you've heard about Jesus, you say, I just need to know more about him. I want to know more about him. We've got Connect Desk downstairs. We've got people there who would love just to invite you just to come and have a conversation and say, I want to find out more about this, about this Jesus. And you can do that even today.